Welcome to A Little Bit Radical, a business podcast from Standing on Giants. I'm Rob, your host. Join me as I meet people and organisations who are doing things differently, challenging the status quo and yes, might just be a little bit radical. Perhaps the best example of a little bit radical idea that has taken hold in recent years is moving to a more plant-based diet. All plants are a brand at the forefront of this change in our eating habits, providing delicious frozen plant-based meals to your door. My guest today is Shelley McIntyre, CMO of All Plants. Shelley is a marketing powerhouse, having risen through the ranks at Unilever and Coca-Cola before joining challenger gin brand Sipsmith, bringing craft gin to the UK and the world. She is an FE's judge and chair of the WACL Talent Sessions, that's Women in Advertising and Communications Leadership, if you didn't know. Shelley is also one of the few unfortunate people who have had the job of managing me in their career. It's good to see you again, boss. I'm looking forward to this one. Shelley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. (laughs) That's hilarious. And I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We're very lucky to have you. Thank you. So Shelley, if you are a little bit radical and you're on our podcast, so we know you are, what do you think in your early life set you up for that? First of all, congratulations on the name of this podcast. It's fantastic. I was surprised to be considered a little bit radical and I'll take it as an honour. Thank you. And I'm sure like many other guests who have been approached by you, I have never considered myself radical. So that question is something that I've had to kind of delve around for some meaning and attribution to. And Actually, I don't know whether this has been said before, but I would probably put a bit more emphasis on a little bit and maybe not so much on radical. And of course, as a marketer, you hope to get to new breakthrough ideas because it's those things that are going to propel you forwards. But I would say on the little bit front, I've been a little bit of everything ever since I was little. I think because I'm quite a curious person, but I also grew up in a very traditional household, middle class, working class slash middle class. I was privileged to have a very stable upbringing that then led to this curiosity of a bigger world that might be out there. And so through my social endeavors, clubs, friendship groups, different schools I went to, I developed this curiosity around people and how, what made people so different. I was lucky to meet a really broad cross-section of people. And I suppose that nosy Parker side of my personality has led me to be a little bit curious and a little bit interested in a lot of different things that have led to, I hope, an ability to think a bit differently, conventionally when required and differently also when required and bringing the two together. So that's probably where I think this little bit radical thing comes from. You've picked up on what is quite a common theme, actually, amongst a lot of our guests, actually the two things. So the curiosity, 100%. I think everyone who is a little bit radical has a natural curiosity. Nosy Parker, as you've called it, is an interesting way. So wanting to find out how things work and how things are a bit different. But also the kind of stable start in life that then makes you wonder, kind of gives you a good springboard to go, oh, what else is out there? That's very common as well. Can you point us to one example from your early life where you kind of explored that a bit more and you're like, where your curiosity got the better of you and you had to go and do something that was a little bit different? 
a very small example, but it's entertaining me just thinking about it. I got caught having a snoop through my auntie and then my nan, my nan's handbags. <laughs> and I was emptying them of their contents. And they had completely different things in their handbags. And so it kind of captured my imagination. And I would then ask, started asking them lots of different questions about why did they have certain things in their handbag. And my auntie was a buyer for a department store, which is no longer exists, called Alders. And so she thought that I might be destined for a future career in buying. She introduced me to some people that she worked with and said, well, look, if you're going to be going through my handbag and looking at the things that you have in there, why don't you come into the department store and start to look at what different things people are buying and you can help me choose different fashion items for what we're going to list in the next season. So I don't think that would have been a normal situation to have with a eight-year-old as I was back at that, that time. But I think that probably, it's not very radical, is it? I'm just reflecting on, on your question, but I suppose that was the seed that was planted that then germinated to think ahead of the curve because with fashion, you have to anticipate and create the trends for what comes next and what people are going to want to buy. Yeah, and picking up on a couple of things there, that last point I think is very interesting. So they're being able to, listening to trends, picking up on things before they're adopted at large, I think is a trait of, of our little bit radical guests. But also what comes up time and time again, and I wasn't expecting this, was as children being given access to information or experiences usually reserved for adults and you've had that there you know coming in at eight and being exposed to this kind of business environment you know and it's actually very very common so when i write my book on how to be a little bit radical that will be one of the top tips i think to give your children these kind of experiences as an adult shelley do you think that you've become more or less radical i don't know about you but i don't think i was even an adult before i had children I think that, that baby grow up very fast having children. So since having children, you start to see the world a bit more through a childlike lens. And so, yes, um, as an adult with children, I do think I've become a little bit more radical still. And I also think the benefit of adulthood, and there aren't many good things that come with aging. <laughs> I've definitely got a lot more grey hair and wrinkles. But one of the many other good things that come with ageing is a sense of self-confidence um, and inner calm and the experience that you've collected over several decades to have an intuition for things that may have been done before but didn't work, but actually done this time around might work for a couple of contextual reasons why all of a sudden it might be a different reason that they would work. Or you get a sixth sense for what will connect with people in a way that doesn't require you to research it to death. And you are much more willing to test and learn and fail up and carry the failures if they don't work out because you've used sufficient judgment, rational and emotional, to give it a go. And being able to put your hand up and say, it's on me if this doesn't work, I'm certainly a lot more prepared to do that now than perhaps when I was in my, the first 10 years of my career, where I was still very much gathering the experiences I needed to be able to have that conviction. So yes, as an adult, I think you know I'm willing to be more radical and I'm willing to wear the successes and failures of that and continue learning. 
because you do learn a lot at the beginning of your career, but my goodness, you're still learning later on in your career. You've just got a little bit more experience to put yourself out there and give things a try. It sounds like you've become a lot more comfortable with vulnerability as you've gone through your career. Would you say that's fair? I don't know. (laughs) It's a very interesting question. I suppose vulnerability is a phrase well coined by Brene Brown and has come kind of much more into my consciousness since kind of tuning into her philosophy about vulnerability. I think vulnerability takes a lot of bravery and I think I push myself to be braver and I push myself to, like I said earlier, own the successes and failures. And I'm very much more conscious now than, say, in the first five years of my career that the success can never be down to one person. It is a team success, but a failure doesn't attract many owners. (laughs) And so being able to be that single owner on behalf of the collective has become much more important the further along in life I've gone. Perhaps that's vulnerability. I don't I don't know. I don't walk around with vulnerability as a phrase at the front of my mind, but I'm certainly more comfortable to wear the successes or failures appropriately and continue to learn. And I would never take a decision that's going to put a business at risk, but I would take a risk to test if it can work to then bring benefits to the organization and brands I'm working on in the long run. So it's being radical with a sensible amount of framing of what risk are you taking? What's the worst that could happen? Um, I actually used to work on Dr. Pepper, so that's been a nice catch line to live by. But it's really figuring out like, what is the worst that could happen? What are the, what are the informed upsides and what are the informed downsides? And that allows you to be a little bit more radical. And ultimately, I think the thing that I have taken everywhere with me is what is it that this brand, only this brand can do? Because there's no point doing it if other brands can do the same. That's not radical and you're never going to build a challenger brand with that mindset. So it's it's going out there with the resources that you have, whether it's plentiful or nothing, figuring out how do you do those new, never done before, only this brand can do things that will meet your business and brand objectives. And I suppose that that's what breeds creativity. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Whether you call it vulnerability or a, a comfort with failure, as you're kind of describing, it feels like you've now decided that that is a core part of your role as a leader. I mean, personally, the leaders that I've worked with that are happy to say this failure will be on me. That is incredibly empowering for a team. Do you see that? Do you see that in your work, the evidence of that? That's right. It's very much a comfort with owning the failures. I have been so fortunate to have brilliant teams that I work with who teach me more than they would ever know. And I like working with talent that thinks differently to me and who have raw talent that allows them to think naively and creatively. Often, if you come with lots of experience, you don't think naively. I get as much pleasure working with people who are one or two years into their working lives as I do with people who are 30 years into their working lives because everybody has something incredibly valuable to offer. So if I can create an environment in my teams where those who are fresh into the industry feel comfortable with putting forward ideas that are new and different, 
with some guidance that, you know, my role is to provide the structure and guidance to allow people to know how they can put forward ideas. If I can create that environment where people feel real, really comfortable and safe to put forward those ideas, then we're going to get to better work. So yes, it, that is very much a core part of how I like to build teams and individuals within the team so that we get to excellence. And the most pleasurable thing in being a team leader is seeing people achieve personal bests every year and surprise themselves with what they've achieved because the achievement is always theirs. I'm there to create the environment. They're the ones who do all the hard work. Absolutely. Very inspiring. That's a good point for us to transition into your little bit radical work now. I'd like to kick this section off with something that I read that you wrote on um, LinkedIn about your decision to join All Plants and about how you saw your little boy running around the playground shouting, mummy loves gin, when you worked for uh, a gin company. And that had some effect on you in questioning, you know, where your career was going. And that now your little boy runs around the playground saying, my mummy is changing the way we eat to help the environment. How does that make you feel that you've mentioned your children and the difference that that has had on your life? How has that had a difference on your work and your work choices? Yeah, thank you for sharing that story. It was such an innocently played out thing that my son was doing, other than the the fact that probably all the other parents in the playground thought I was an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe great fun too. They were all after their free bottles, Shelley. It was fine. They were getting free bottles, we know. Sipsmith, fantastic brand, fantastic founders, fantastic team, fantastic culture. And the so many years that I spent there and Rob, you know, you spend a good few years of those with me. It was such a brilliant time of my working life. However, hearing my son shouting around the playground, they soon invited parents to come and talk about their careers to the children. I just thought I can't go into the school of talking about alcohol when there are nurses, surgeons, vets, talk about what they do so it was a moment where I was like what is my purpose why am I working other than to provide which is of course very important what gets me out of bed in the morning and there are lots of things that were getting me out of bed in the morning for Sipsmith but it did start to get me thinking or my son got me thinking there's a bigger reason to be around and actually now I'm 20 odd years into work I started to feel that my contribution to society could be more important. So that's what led me towards all plants. And so I'm a believer in capitalism. I'm an even stronger believer in positive capitalism. And the reason for that is we have a responsibility as individual human beings to make our society a good one. And I want to see our society thrive. And for societies to thrive, you need economic growth. And so you need to have businesses that are performing really well and driving that economic growth. But more importantly than that, we need businesses who understand their contribution to society, which is financial as well as people-driven and planet-driven. And so joining a plant-based organization, by the way, I'm not plant-based, so call me a hypocrite, but I think I, think I represent the majority out there who are plant-curious and wanting to make gradually more positive choices but aren't necessarily willing to give up everything 
Sorry, Rob, I do still have a steak every now and then. It's, it's very difficult to get away from the steak and red wine on a Friday night. But maybe one day that will be a thing of the past. My family's overall variety of plants in our diet has transformed, not just since I've started working at all plants, but really in the last 10 years, if I think about what we were eating and what we're now eating, it's very much more swung towards plants. And it's such an important journey we're on as a human race to think about our food systems and creating more positive food systems, not only for planet, but also for our own health. And it does seem quite crazy that all the nutrients that animals feed on to feed the animals that we then eat, it seems crazy you need to have that middleman. And why don't we just eat the nutrients directly? <laughs> and so I'm a big believer in the role businesses play within society. I'm a big believer in the role of how we eat in building a more positive society, personal health and planet-wise. So that's kind of what got me thinking I need to take everything that I've learned in the last couple of decades and apply that to a business that's a force for good. And more, more than anything, JP, the founder of All Plants, very much like Sam and Fairfax and Jared at Sipsmith, they're incredible human beings with incredible entrepreneurial spirit and great commercial nous. And so to be able to join forces with JP and, and the rest of the leadership team to find ways in which we can positively impact our food systems um, is just an, an enormous privilege. I learn a lot, but hopefully I contribute a lot. And it's just nice to hear my son running around the playground saying, my mummy's saving the planet. <laughs> so that's just a little bit of, it of what drives me. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And no judgment from here and no crying hypocrite from me here. My wife is not plant-based. My family are not plant-based, but much like you've experienced with your family, the amount of the variety of plants that they do now eat is greatly increased from my influence and then the amount of meat they eat has greatly reduced at the same time you know and i think calling people hypocrites doesn't help anyone because it's a great way to stop people trying anything at all so i think the way that you've positioned all plants as this sort of uh, enabler brand to just kind of make start this behavior change not kind of go completely Cold turkey, pardon the pun. I think it's great. <laughs> I've got another pun for you. It's the carrot and the stick. <laughs> Brilliant. People do not want to be hit with a stick and told what they should eat. But if you give them a really great tasty carrot, we, by the way, All Plants offers something a lot more than carrots, but it is, is about making it a supremely delicious choice. And this is just another legitimate cuisine option. And as long as you're competing on flavor and giving people great food, it really doesn't matter what it's made from. Well, it does matter what it's made from. We don't need to obsess about talking about what it's made from. And so that's my mission is to make plant-based eating just a supremely delicious, positive choice that you're not even thinking about the fact that it's plant-based. Unfortunately, a lot of the plant-based industry is incredibly processed. And so I have a genuine concern about the reputation of the plant-based industry. And my mission is to be a leading brand in showing how nutritionally brilliant and delicious plant-based can be. So we've initiated a, a campaign at All Plants to really take on the ultra-processed food industry in all its guises. You have a lot of plant-based brands that are anti-meat, 
all plants is an anti-meat, all plants is anti-ultra-processed, and we need to get back to eating more whole food diets with a huge variety of plants, Tim Spector, and leading light in the gut microbiome, which I'll leave him to talk about because he's the expert in that. But he talks about us all needing at least 30 plant varieties in our diet over the course of the week, which is very difficult to get if you are unable to navigate the difference between processed, ultra-processed and whole food foods. So I'm very much on a, bit, on, on a mission to make this a positive, delicious cuisine option and not fall into the trap of you eat plants or you eat animals but it's you know it's it's binary and that's just not how life is so we want to offer the carrot and not the stick because no one wants to be told what to do and a nice miso glazed (laughs) with a sprinkle of sesame seeds carrots at that knowing all plants we're touching on this already actually and when i look at your career one theme i see is using marketing to create behavioral change i see you at coca-cola introducing a brand new product to the market in europe in coke zero and getting people to switch to that product from what they're used to i see you at sipsmith persuading people to upgrade their drinking experience from brands which shall remain nameless to a more premium craft gin and now of course at all plants probably an even bigger the biggest of all behavioral changes getting people to switch away from ultra processed foods and meat products to a more plant-based diet what role do you see for marketing and communication and businesses in creating positive behavioral change and how do you go about it i'm pausing because what i'm reflecting on is the great responsibility we have as marketers to do good and marketing has a really mixed reputation. Thinking about our role and consumer behavioral change, I'm obsessed with creating cultural nudges that get people towards making better choices. Now, you might question the Coca-Cola company and an alcohol company, how can those be better choices? At least how I I'm able to put my head on, on the pillow at night, is that Coke Zero is giving people a zero-calorie option. I would never say it was healthy, but it's a zero-calorie option if you're looking to reduce the amount of sugar in your diet. But it is still a treat. With Sipsmith, it was about drinking less but better. So something that's been crafted by hand and is a very pure version of gin in comparison to 99% of the other gins that are out there and that are, are not um, such good quality. So in all plants, is extremely much more obvious for the benefit is. So it's something I've become more conscious of as I have got older too, is how do we ensure that the marketing and communication activities we're putting out into society are helping it get a little bit better? And I certainly can put my head on the pillow at night a lot more easily now with what we're doing. I suppose that's the behavioral change piece that's driving me. Talk to us about those cultural nudges. Give us some examples of those, perhaps from all plants at the moment, some examples that you're activating. All plants recently launched a campaign to support families in the school holidays. You'll famously know the campaign by Marcus Rashford to lobby the government to ensure that families who didn't have the means to provide meals for their children at school 
um, would have those covered, which is an incredible achievement and great contribution that he made. The sad thing is, is that those millions of families who can't afford to pay for the school meals during term time also can't afford to put food on the table in the school holidays and they don't get any receive any funding for that. So All Plants launched a campaign called Not at School Dinners, inviting people to get involved with All Plants. So All Plants is making a donation of 7,000 meals. And then in addition, anyone who paid £5.25 for a phantom meal because they didn't receive a meal, that's how much the meals cost on allplants.com. All Plants would match that donation in meals. So that has elevated our contribution to schools in North London into the tens of thousands of meals. And that's a commitment that all plants will continue to honour until the point the government funds school holiday meals. So I'd say that's a cultural nudge raising into kind of the public's awareness, this challenge that families have to feed their children. And then we're in a fortunate position to be able to support with food because that's what that's what we do. And so we're able to give those families really healthy, um, chef-prepared, nutritionally balanced food and to enjoy in the holidays. And hopefully we can just continue to scale up. Amazing. Well, congratulations on such a successful campaign and a brilliant cause to support. I now want to shine a light on the work that you're doing, kind of extracurricular, if you like, in the marketing community. So your work as a mentor, particularly to women leaders in, in marketing and that kind of work that you do. I feel like that links very clearly to what we've been talking about, your kind of increasing sense of responsibility and sense of your own impact and the positive impact that you can have and the role that you feel marketing can play in the world. Talk to us about mentoring in general, uh, first and foremost, and what that means to you. Yes, sure. So I'm incredibly honoured to be part of this fantastic organisation called WACOL, uh, Women in Advertising and Communications Leadership. And it brings together about 350 senior leaders in the industry who deeply care about enabling and supporting and campaigning for 50% representation in the boardroom. It's an organization that's been going for 100 years. So it was set up prior to women having the right to vote. We are passionate about ensuring that we achieve that equity for the next 100 years forward. So everything that we do, and there are lots of different initiatives that Wackle lead on, everything that we're doing is about paying it forward to the next generation. We stand on the shoulders of some incredible women who've been part of the club who did not have the same access to opportunities that, say, I enjoy today. And they've really had to make huge sacrifices and have had harder battles than I and my contemporaries have had. But yet the job is still not done and we're still a long way from representation. The committee I chair is called Wackle Talent Sessions and we run this mentoring program. And the women of the club have donated already over 2,000 hours of mentoring to hundreds of women in the industry. And I, as well as chairing the committee, I'm also a mentor. What I love about that is it's not one-way traffic. We as mentors get as much out of the mentoring as hopefully the participants receive in wisdom and inspiration and insight from us. The great thing about the program is it's independent to the organizations that the talent are in. So it's really, they're really candid, gloves off, honest conversations 
with someone who may have been there, done that before, or may just have a good perspective and advice to give. And it's up to the participant whether they take the advice or not. And and often we see that the relationship between the participants and the mentors is a longer term one than just the mentoring sessions they receive. And for me personally, it gives me an insight into what my team might be facing into and struggling with that they don't want to tell me about. Because let's be honest, you're not going to tell your boss everything. I'm sure you didn't tell me everything, Rob, when we worked together. Mentoring is one of those things that keeps you in touch with what's going on but also some of the things that my mentees have expressed to me I also struggle with so it's not like I'm sat the other side of the table with everything sorted myself and sometimes when you hear yourself sharing advice you're like oh I should write that down for myself actually (laughs) I'll think about that next time so, so yeah, mentoring is such a brilliant program we can offer talent in the, in the industry, but it's such a brilliant resource for me, myself too. I think most of us out there like have the growth mindset with always learning. We always know we can improve and, and mentoring is just these real, honest, authentic conversations that have a lovely reciprocity to them. Thank you very much for sharing that. I think that's very inspiring. Any listeners out there who feels like they might be seeking a mentor, what advice would you give that person? there's someone that you admire, ask them to be your mentor. I've not heard one story where the person who's been asked has said no, but I have heard plenty of stories of, oh, they're too busy. They're too senior. Why would they want to mentor someone like me? So be brave and ask. And you're more than likely, I would say 100% likely going to get a yes. Then there's lots of informal mentoring happening out there. If you don't want to go down that route and ask someone to be your mentor, there are programs like the Wackle Mentoring out there. Come in on Google Wackle Mentoring or go to wackle.info and you can sign up. Or there are other programs out there too. Bloom, a different organization, also have a mentoring program. And I know other marketing organizations that are planning on setting them up. So I think they're going to become more and more commonplace. And often organizations run mentoring internally as well. It just depends whether or not you want your mentor to be independent of your organization. That's something that you need to think about yourself. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So we're going to step out of the day-to-day now, step out of your work. And obviously your work is quite entrenched with quite big global issues. And actually we've covered two there, learning and development, as well as changing the way we eat to help the environment. But what little bit radical change that maybe you can't influence, what would you like to see happen in the world? I don't want to sound like I'm entering the contest for Miss World. (laughs) At risk of sounding like that, we have to have peace in the world. There are too many wars and I cannot wrap my head around why we as a human race cannot learn from our previous mistakes. And again, being a parent and seeing what's happening in other parts of the world and the absolute horrors that families are, not just families, but particularly it resonates when you see children involved in conflict. How on earth can we stop these wars? Other little bit radical change in the world. I would love us all, and if you're listening, to think about volunteering an hour of your time to anything. It could be to make a cup of tea for the elderly person who lives down your street who doesn't see anybody day in, day out, and you go in and just make them a tea and have a chat. Or maybe you go and volunteer for running a brownie group, because I know that the Scout 
uh, institution doesn't have enough volunteers or an hour of mentoring. If we could all, if every single person in the world volunteered one hour a week or a month, I'd, I'm not going to prescribe the time frame, but how much better could our world become if we all volunteered an hour of our time? Absolutely. I love that one. And actually, I found that often volunteering experiences become the most interesting and relevant things about you for other areas of your life. You know, I know particularly that students who have done a degree in one discipline, if there's one student who's got their degree and there's one student who's got the same degree but has done a lot of volunteering and has a huge range of experience, it helps you stand out from the crowd a lot more and gives you a lot of relevant experience. Also, if you're thinking about career change, going and volunteering in the area that you might like to work in, you know, I think is very enriching. So I love that one, Shelley. I'm behind it. Also, if you have a career in anything to do with understanding people's behavior, getting yourself out of your everyday rivers of thinking, you're not going to do that in any other better way than meeting a whole new group of people through a voluntary activity. So it is life enhancing as well as career enhancing. So Shelley, we're coming to the end of our conversation now. It's been great to spend this time with you. Thank you so much for the answers you've given. The last question is always the same, which is if there's someone listening to our conversation that has a little bit of a radical idea for their work, for their personal life, for society, whatever it may be, what advice would you give them to get it off the ground? Talk about it. Don't keep it to yourself. Plant the seed. Just plant that seed and see how it grows. And that's what talking enables you to do. And talk with lots of different people, not just one person, because everybody has different opinions. And even if you hear a few no's, just keep on talking about it because someone will say yes, or someone will have a really insightful build. Great ideas are never created by one person. They come from diversity of thought and being heard by lots of different type of people, different people who can iteratively nudge it along. That would be my advice, I think. Fantastic advice, I think, as well. Shelley, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you so much for appearing on A Little Bit Radical and hope to speak to you again soon. It's been super fun. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please follow us on your podcast platform. If you'd like to appear on A Little Bit Radical or have an idea of someone we should speak to, please email podcast at standingongiants.com or get in touch with me on LinkedIn. You can search Rob Fawkes or search Standing on Giants and you'll find me there. Thank you very much and speak to you next time. Hold up. 